I'm Kayla Branch. And I'm Nuria Martinez-Keel. You're listening to The Source. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. This episode is our last in 2020, and we are grateful to our listeners and to all the reporters who came on the show to describe their stories in depth and to our wonderful producer, Paige Dillard. We'll see you in the new year, but this week, the Oklahoman goes inside a COVID ward where doctors, nurses, and patients are fighting to preserve lives during the pandemic. Reporter Carmen Foreman is talking with us today about her tour through an intensive care unit treating COVID-19 patients at St. Anthony Hospital in Oklahoma City. So Carmen, with so much to see and process, what has stuck with you the most from that experience? I think it what stuck with me the most was that, you know, the the nurses just seemed really exhausted um, and worn out and um, overworked. Um, you know, think about like sort of the mental burden that they're taking on um, in treating all these COVID patients and, you know, being some of the last people that some COVID patients see. Being the last person that someone talks to is a really huge responsibility. And in the moment we get caught up in it sometimes because we're, you know, it's fast paced and they're crashing and things of that nature. But I try to take a step back and I try to hold their hand and I try try to put my hand on their head and just say, you know, we're, we're going to make it, we're going to, we're going to try to get you better. We're going to try to get you through this. Um, And if we have the time beforehand, we zoom with their family and their patient. And if they're starting to deteriorate, we, we let them know. Uh, let their family know that and we let the patient um, kind of say what they want to say their last words to their family and holding that zoom and listening to that uh, almost on a daily basis is is absolutely devastating and gut-wrenching so many of those nurses are so busy and they're just pushing through to keep working keep working that they don't even really have time to think about all of that and to process all of that i don't know how to deal with it because i've never had to deal with it for this long of a time period we've been doing this since march So every single nurse, I would have to say, every single nurse that I work with right now is emotionally and physically and mentally um, exhausted. I think we all cry at least once a day. I know I have sat in my truck before I've driven home and just let it go. Um, Because we also have to be strong um, for our nurses and uh, we we don't necessarily wanna wanna show that, but it's happened to me. I'm going to try to process it when it's all over, but I don't have the mental capacity to process it right now. I'm just going to try to work on disassociation methods. It's just so intensive, right? I I toured a COVID-19 ICU ward, so those patients are obviously needing more critical care than some other COVID patients that end up in the hospital. But, um, I mean, there's just, you know, tubes going everywhere, you're hooked up to, you know, five different lines, um, some with drugs, some with fluids, you're on a ventilator, some patients were, you know, lying on their stomachs to um, improve their breathing and the airflow, and it's just, it's so much, right? Like, it takes a lot of work and a lot of dedication to treat one of those patients, let alone to have a whole ward full of intensive care COVID patients. 
The nurses you interviewed in the COVID unit were pretty emphatic that they were exhausted and pushed the, pushed to their limits, but they don't have the same public support as before. The way you opened your story about the hospital tour was pretty sobering. Tell us what those nurses had to say. I talked to two nurses. Um, both have worked at Integris for a while. Um, and Stephanie Collier, who's one of the charge nurses on staff in the ICU, which basically means she's, you know, a supervisor there. She was basically saying that, you know, it's from one corner of the ICU floor. um, She can look down and look at this sort of a corner of the roundabout in Midtown, um, you know, where there's a bunch of restaurants, a bunch of bars, um, just, you know, things that would be busy in a normal, on a normal Friday night. But she kind of said that, like, it's just so disheartening that she can be working and, you know, wearing all of this PPE and N95 mask, a gown, little slippers on her shoes and looking down to see people, you know, going out to dinner or going out to bar hop on a, you know, weekend night. Um, You know, she just said it feels like nobody's listening to what they're saying because if they were listening, they wouldn't be doing such thing. And so she just said it's really disheartening, especially because, you know, those people in some instances can transmit COVID if they get COVID. And you can be walking around, living your life, pretending like none of this is real. And you can give this virus to someone who is immunocompromised or who is older and you can, you can kill them. And you may not know it ever happened, but we know that it happened and we are here with them when they die. We are holding their hand. We are holding the Zoom and letting their family talk to them. You mentioned the PPE and you had to get in full garb. and I'm curious, you had one you had one piece of the PPE that I wasn't sure if it was a face shield or if it was a helmet that you had. It looked like there were tubes coming in and out of it. What, what was that? Yeah, that was called a capper. Um, and not not all of the nurses wear them, but some of the medical staff do wear them. Um, I think, you know, they just don't they don't have a whole bunch of them. So, but the thing is, it's, it's like sort of a face shield, but also a helmet. Um, it had a battery pack attached to it. And there was like sort of this film that came down under my chin and it sort of holds close to the face. And then the battery pack essentially powers what would be like an air conditioning unit or a, a, a wind powered unit within the helmet and it blows the air out so that in theory you know COVID-19 does not get in. And you point out in your story that there are more COVID p- patients than beds and there are more beds than nurses and we've been hearing for months that hospital capacity is dwindling in Oklahoma and I think we've been hearing recently about just the nursing shortage as well so what does that actually look like when you go into an ICU and and you see that yeah I will say I mean like when I was there it seemed like there were plenty of nurses so they said that they um in the COVID ICU that there's basically 
one nurse for every two patients. Um, and they said that's because, you know, a patient can go downhill so quickly that the nurses really need to be able to check on them every five minutes or so. And even if that's just, you know, walking past their room, just a quick check. Um, so it did seem like there were plenty of nurses. The, nor- the nursing shortage is real though, right? Because um, one of the nurses, Amy Pettit, she, you know, talked about, you know, when she was a little girl and the the Murrah building bombing, right? And how lots of people needed help. Um, they needed extra first responders. They needed extra medical staff. And it was like a situation where people could come from all over to help Oklahoma City, right? In our time of need. But now we're in a situation where everybody is seeing a COVID-19 surge. Um, across the country, um, All pretty much all hospitals are experiencing more patients than they had ever before. And the thing is, like, when there is a widespread problem like that, you can't just easily get, oh, nurses from Texas to come up and help or nurses from Kansas to come down and help because those nurses are also needed there. Um, So then it sort of becomes like a situation where hospitals are trying to incentivize workers. Um, The SSM Health St. Anthony's folks said that they, you know, they do have some like temp nurses that they can call or agency nurses because there are instances when, you know, nurses will get COVID-19 or and then they'll have to be home isolating for a certain number of days or some not only get COVID-19 but get sick from COVID-19 and then they have to maybe be home for longer so it's a complex situation. One nurse said she and all of her colleagues were just physically and emotionally exhausted. I think I remember one of them saying that they all cry at least once a day. Just what kind of toll does this pandemic take on them? They didn't, I think the thing is that they were both, both the nurses I was talking to, they try so hard to just sort of block it out, the toll that they're suffering because of this, um, because they really just want to focus on doing their jobs, and it, it sounded to me like it, thinking about all of the COVID, you know, taking the community responsibility for not, you know, dealing with COVID or whatever, putting all of that on your shoulders while also still trying to hold it together while you're working, you know, 12 hour shifts every day of the week. That is tough. We're fighting and we've been fighting for the last eight months, but we need everybody's help. Um, we're, we're stretched beyond our capabilities and we're, we've been stretched for too long. It can't it's not sustainable. Your nurses are exhausted physically and emotionally, and then real people are dying. Um, we've experienced more death than we ever have before, and the emotional side of that is just almost too much to handle at times. And they basically said, you know, we can't, we try not to think about it. We try to push it out of our minds because that's the only way we can get through the workday. And what pandemic-related policies have hospital staff or administrators said that they want to see our state and local governments in Oklahoma implement. Yeah, those nurses said that they they want stronger leadership from the governor, Governor Kevin Stitt, um, and Amy Pettit said that she would like to see a statewide mask mandate. I would like them to 
support us on a mask mandate. Um, I would love for everyone to wear a mask. We don't want to shut down everything, but we want to be smart about it. I mean, my kids understand I, they, they can't do soccer this year, and I told them it was because of the pandemic. And if they understand that and they can wear a mask for eight hours a day in school, I feel like anybody else can. We've heard from a lot of health professionals that have said they would like to see a statewide mask mandate as well. I don't think that the governor is going to do that. And, you know, in his last press conference, he basically said, you know, I've heard from many people that uh, want me to declare a statewide mask mandate, but I've heard from many more people that don't want me to declare a statewide mask mandate. So, um, but that would be a main one. Um, I know that the Oklahoma Nursing Association they are trying to work with the state to get the state to help them on, you know, filling the nursing shortage, if, if there's a good way to say that, basically using some CARES Act dollars to help these hospitals attract more nurses. Um, I don't quite know where they are in that process, but I know that's something that some healthcare groups have been pushing for. Unfortunately, predictions for COVID trends anticipate the spread in Oklahoma to get worse, not better. What can we see in the coming weeks? That's a really good question. Um, pretty much every health professional have said that around the holidays, you know, whether it was Fourth of July or Labor Day, there is a spike. Uh, Halloween, there's a little spike in COVID and new COVID infections following the holiday because more people gather, more people get together with their families. Um, and so a lot of healthcare professionals were really worried about that around Thanksgiving time, that if people didn't take COVID precautions or you know stay home, that we could see a big groundswell of new infections and new hospitalizations after Thanksgiving. I think, you know, to some extent that those numbers have plateaued the number of new cases a little bit. Our hospitalizations are still really high um, and health professionals are worried that, you know, come Christmas that people will gather, they'll open presents, they'll have Christmas dinner together and then, you know, there will be a spike a week to two weeks after that. So. It's also, you know, the worst part of the year, basically, because, well, it, as we can see, it's snowing outside. So nobody really wants to hang out outside anymore or on a patio. So more people are gathering inside, and that means more spread of the virus. If I could ask just a quick follow-up. Um, we're, we're in Hanukkah right now. Christmas is also a religious holiday. Um, how does uh, some of the governor's more recent executive orders affect, I know he's, he's made executive orders on public gatherings. Is that going to affect people going to church, people going to temple, things like that? Uh, yeah, so his most recent executive order, it um, limits public gatherings to 50%, and there's some details on that, you know, basically inside public gatherings, you know, he's specified sort of weddings, funerals, but the, the limits don't apply to churches or houses of worship, so as many people could keep going to temple and church um, on Sunday, um, now, I will say a lot of churches have taken precautions, whether it's, you know, blocking out every row in their sanctuary or every other row in their sanctuary or, you know, limiting the number of people that are inside or spacing them out. They are taking some precautions, um, but they are exempt from the executive order. 
And then the other one that um, the governor's previous executive order to close bars and restaurants at 11 p.m. every night, um, that one is still in effect and will be in effect for mm, about 30 more days. And so I think sort of interesting, you know, I've seen some people complaining like, oh, well, I can't ring in New Year's Eve at the bars on New Year's Eve because the bars close at 11. So... We did see some light of hope this week as the first Oklahomans got the COVID-19 vaccine. And Carmen, you were there. You got to witness that. Uh, what did that look like? And what did it feel? You know, we're, we're all in this pandemic as well, you know. And so what was it like just for you personally to see that um, take place and to know that over the next few months, more and more people will hopefully uh, be vaccinated against this virus? Yeah, it was very exciting. I mean, it's in the back of my mind, I can't help thinking about, you know, all the lives that we've lost, all the people that have gotten sick and, you know, may have long-term ramifications from that sickness. So that is still, you know, in the, in, in the close part of my mind, but, you know, seeing the first person in Oklahoma get vaccinated, it like does give me a little bit of hope that, you know, this is not too far away for all the rest of us. Um, so I've been, you know, I'm in phase two, I guess you would say, of the distribution plan because I'm under 65, but I have comorbidities. So for me, I'm like, well, you know, I have been taking a lot of COVID-19 precautions. I've been staying home as much as possible because I do worry that I would get it, you know, worse than a, another person. And so for me to realize that, oh, it may only be another month or two until I can get the vaccine, well, I've done this for nine or 10 months already, so I can keep going. And just real quick, how are we seeing the vaccine rolling out in our state? Um, so it's first going to go to like healthcare workers, frontline folks who are helping COVID-19 patients. Um, it'll go to employees and, and healthcare workers in resident care facilities, nursing homes, long-term care homes, group homes, things like that. Um, it'll also, a lot of the folks that will be administering those vaccines in those locations will be CVS and Walgreens employees. So those employees will get vaccinated and then go administer vaccines in those group home settings. Um, so that's that's the first round, and they expect to get enough vaccines this month to sort of do a first shot of two shots for all of those people that would want one. Well, it's it's been a long pandemic, but you know, I think looking looking forward, there um, is just going to continue to be news in this area, and we really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about that and explaining you know your experiences and you know, sharing your knowledge with us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us this week. You can read all these stories and more every day in the Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com.